strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. The Air Force One is in the air. In the air. Oh, it goes. Airspace clear out, Air Force One en route, airspace clear out, Air Force One en route. Luke, prepare for landing, Air Force One. Yep, uh, here it comes, and on board is Ruben Gallego. That's fun. I always think that's cool when you get to hitch a ride with the president. It's neat. Although, you know, come to think of it, should the politicians be getting a free ride? I mean, shouldn't he have to buy a ticket? Doesn't that make sense? I mean, normally he'd fly back and he'd fly commercial, right? He'd have to go through TSA and he'd have to buy a ticket and there'd be processing fees and there'd be, a, you know, blah, 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 blah. And now he just gets to thumb a ride back with the president of the United States on the taxpayer dime? Ah, he needs to buy a ticket and go through TSA checkpoint like everybody else. No, I'm a, I'm a stuffy curmudgeon. Yeah. That's all it is. <laughs> that is not a hill I'm going to die on. So uh, just a stuffy curmudgeon. I love Supreme Court season. Love it, 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 love it. Supreme Court season is fantastic because we get to evaluate the cases for ourselves. And all of the cases that hit the Supreme Court have reasonable arguments from both sides of whatever the debate is. I love it. I love it. We can have an intellectual conversation about the issues. We can also have an unintelligent conversation about political bias of the judges, of the justices. Yeah, of course. We can go uh, low intellect all the way to high intellect. I love it. And then, of course, we all tend to learn something about the the legal process along the way, right? We learn about things like standing. What does that mean in a legal sense? And uh, writs of certiori and all these other things. I love it. I just, I, I, there's, it engages my mind. I usually come away with some sort of a, uh, some sort of a, a perspective maybe I didn't share before. I love it. There's a big one that was heard yesterday in oral arguments at the Supreme Court, and it had to do, uh, similar to a, a previous case out of Colorado where a, a baker was um, uh, under fire from the, the state for discriminating against uh, a gay couple. A gay couple had commissioned the baker to make a, a, a cake for their wedding. The baker refused because the baker didn't uh, approve of gay marriage. And so that became an issue. Which um, was resolved in the baker's favor, but it wasn't a determination that was um, necessarily based on the baker's rights so much as it had to do with the state's enforcement and the state's uh, laws and this sort of thing. So while it turned out in favor of the baker, it still left ambiguity about whether or not an artist or somebody in an artistic field can discriminate based on their own deeply held religious beliefs. Now we have a a chance to challenge that, although I would also argue that this case doesn't exactly satisfy all of that argument either. Here's a, a report from ABC. Get this. Meet Lori Smith, a graphic web designer from Colorado. She's at the center of the first controversial case at the Supreme Court this week. 
The case is about her online business. And when you go to it, you see she offers website design services. She says in court documents that she would like to start designing wedding websites, but that her faith won't allow her to create ones for same-sex marriages. After- Wait a minute. Hang on. Let's go back. Let's let's parse this a little bit. She's a digital web design specialist, but what was that? She offers website design services. She yep. says in court documents that she would like to start designing wedding websites, but... Would like to start designing wedding websites? Hmm. So she doesn't actually design wedding websites right now. She would like to start. Hmm. That's interesting. That her faith won't allow her to create ones for same-sex marriages. Okay, so she doesn't design wedding websites now. There is no gay couple that is petitioning her or, or is trying to hire her services for one. She says simply that she's not going to start those services because she's afraid it might happen. After being told she would have to, she sued the state of Colorado. After years of litigation, the case has finally reached the Supreme Court. We don't know which way the conservative-leaning court will ultimately rule. However, in recent years, they have sided with fakers and coaches in cases in which individuals felt their religious liberty was threatened. All right. Clarence Thomas, who doesn't say a whole lot when he's on the bench, did actually open the proceedings yesterday. And here's what he said, which I thought was unique. He asked whether the case was truly ripe or ready for the court to weigh in on, given that the plaintiff in this case, Smith, had not actually started her wedding website business yet. He says, why should we even be hearing this? Which does, it does open the door for the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court loves to say, eh, not our problem. They love that. Although, this Supreme Court seems a little more interested in, in making determinations and not necessarily relying on the, the, the intricacies of process in order to avoid hearing it in the first place. Uh, but it is, it is curious that uh, Clarence Thomas is saying, maybe we shouldn't even be hearing this case. They, he could come back and they could say that this case isn't ready for the Supreme Court. We accepted this case. We wanted to look at the merits, but the merits of this case show that there really isn't standing. It's not ready for us to see since there is, there's been no harm done. No harm, no foul. In other words, she doesn't have the business. This is purely an exercise in hypotheticals. No one has approached her about making a website for a gay wedding. She hasn't denied that. So there's no victim here, although she's claiming that she's the victim of the state law. And so in that regard, it may go forward. As the Supreme Court weighs this uh, controversy, um, they fight through a number of different scenarios, right? And they love to sort of weigh the what ifs of everything. Uh, What if... This were, for instance, um, uh, a black man playing Santa Claus um, who has a child. Hang on. 
let me get this let me get this correct because it's not the Santa themselves; it's the photographer, uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson, who's the the newest uh, justice, suggested that ruling uh, backing. Smith, the plaintiff in the case in Colorado, could allow a professional photographer to exclude black children from a nostalgic Christmas photo with Santa Claus styled after the 1940s, a time of racial segregation in parts of America because, quote, they're trying to capture the feelings of a certain era. All right, so not even necessarily a black Santa Claus. The lawyer representing Smith doubted such a scenario would merit a free speech exemption saying there are difficult lines to draw and they uh and that may be an edge case so suppose you have an artist who's trying to be authentic and in their authenticity they would say well they didn't have black children sitting on santa's laps in the 1940s and since we're trying to capture the nostalgia of the 1940s and we would have had segregation at the time i can't photograph a black child sitting on santa's lap same comes back to me, the question, if the Santa were being played by a black man, would that be a laudable? A lot of questions are going to pop up here, but I, I kind of wonder, when the attorney for the plaintiff in this case uh, says, well, you know, that would be kind of an edge case. Uh, that's not really a free speech exemption because the photographer would be uh, blatantly racist in that case. So that doesn't really count, doesn't it? If it's a deeply held belief that's allowing for discrimination against what is a protected class in Colorado, does that mean that sexual orientation or identity is sort of a malleable civil right? That it's not, it's a protected-ish class, but not really that protected? I want to tease your brain a little bit more as we offer some analogies to the case in Colorado. The woman who does not design wedding websites right now says she's like she'd like to, but she won't because she's afraid that the state is going to force her to create a wedding website for a gay couple and that her deeply held religious beliefs would prevent her from doing such a thing. So she's at a crossroads as far as obeying the law and then her own religious liberties. I want to tease your brain with a few more scenarios on that in just a few moments. And the Supreme Court's hearing another huge case, too, tomorrow. I'll give you a preview of that next. Chris Marilyn from Mike Broomhead, KTAR. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Chris Merrill, in for Mike Broomhead on KTAR. The uh, question is to the Supreme Court. In a case in Colorado, a uh, graphic web designer says she's thinking about starting uh, a business where she designs wedding websites. But she won't start that business because in Colorado she's afraid that if the situation arises, she might be forced to make a website for a gay couple. And she does not agree with the concept of gay marriage. She has a deeply held religious belief against that. The Supreme Court is trying to decide whether or not there is a religious exemption to the anti-discrimination laws that are on the books. But it does raise a number of questions, and we try to start to try to draw analogies. Uh, what is the difference then? Suppose, just suppose that you move into a house. My wife and I did this. We we bought a house in Mesa, and um, it was the layout of the house was a little bit funky, right? It was in the late seventies, and I don't know who designed that, Mike Brady or something. It was a little bit funky. My wife says, well, "I'm gonna I'm gonna hire uh, an interior designer to come in and and try to help us out." All right, so. She did, and they did, and blah, blah, blah. 
suppose we were in that situation and we had contacted someone and they said, oh, I'd like to help you out, but I can't because you're straight. We would say, what? What does that have to do with interior design? They go, everything, because I'm a gay interior designer and you're a straight couple and I don't approve of your lifestyle. I know it seems ridiculous, doesn't it? It seems far-fetched. Yet it is an example of discrimination. And you go, well, what kind of deeply held religious belief is that? You're simply, dis- you're simply discriminating based on my uh, sexual orientation. Right. So is religion the catch-all for the ability to discriminate? What if I have a deeply held belief that someone who's disabled is a drag on society? Now, I don't, but what if that were the case? If I were a photographer and asked to take photographs of a disabled veteran and I refused because of my deeply held belief, it's not so, not so far-fetched. Certain historical figures have sought to terminate the lives of those with disabilities for, quote-unquote, the greater good. Should I be allowed, because of my deeply held religious belief, to deny that veteran their photographs? These are the questions we have to weigh. It's Chris Maryland from Mike Broomhead, KTAR. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. All right, Chris Merrill in for Broomhead today. A pleasure being with you. There is uh, a, 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 there's a story that brings up a great deal of concern. This one comes out of North Carolina, and it's a great deal of concern for a, a few different reasons. Um, the first is the most obvious. There was an attack on the power grid in uh, in Moore County, North Carolina. Well, where is that? Uh, it's kind of rural, but not like way out in the mountains. Um, it is uh, it's an area that is to the east of Charlotte, kind of the southwest of, of, uh, of Rolla. Uh, somewhat rural, but not that rural. It's a populated area, but it's certainly not a, a giant metropolitan area. You've probably heard the story where somebody attacked the power grid. Oh, no! I've got the power! I've got the power! What's the matter with people? Why are they attacking the power grid? Who attacked the power grid? And why is the power grid attackable? See, there's the hang-up that I'm finding. A number of different questions arise, and and the big one to me is, are we sort of displaying our vulnerabilities? In fact, I believe, yeah, CBS News had a story about this, and I'm not one to blame the media. I typically typically demure from trying to blame the media for things, but in this case, it might be the media's fault. They're planting the seed here. Have a listen to the story that CBS had about this very uh, attack in uh, North Carolina. Good morning, Tony. For thousands of residents here, this is the third straight morning of waking up to a cold house. Still no power, still no suspects in this targeted attack. Traffic lights are out. Generators are on, and people in Moore County, North Carolina, feel challenged by crisis. It's devastating. Authorities say someone with a gun broke through a gate and intentionally opened fire at two power substations in Moore County. 
What's the temperature in the house? Well, I guess it'll be about 55. Steve and Meg Wilkins are bracing for another uncomfortable night. Take you off? Absolutely. Uh, this is not what I wanted to be doing today, stringing power cords, eating cold ham, you know, and uh, trying to live by flashlights in the evening. Yeah, it is frustrating. And he's talking about it's not what I wanted to do today. And that's why these terror attacks, uh, our show, they're either incredibly short-sighted if the if the uh, motivation was political. And we'll get to what some of the speculation is on the motivation here uh, in a moment. Uh or uh, it is coordinated and it's absolutely intended to frustrate the residents. But how does it even happen in the first place? How is it that somebody is so easily able to knock out the power, disrupt the economy, put lives in jeopardy? Whenever there's a power outage, we always talk about people that are on uh, uh, ventilators at home or dialysis machines at home or whatever else it is. We always talk about that. And, of course, if you have, if you're on life-saving emergency equipment at home, I hope to God that you have a generator, a backup generator and something that either automatically kicks on or you have a plan in place for somebody to be able to turn that on. But normally, if we have a power outage, it's, it's very short. Uh, granted, if you're on a ventilator, uh, anything over about a minute, it, it doesn't matter how short it is. But for for most power outages, it's a blip, right? It's a power goes out, power comes back on, you're frustrated, you have to reset your clocks, you go, why did that happen? Sometimes you have somebody hit a power pole or they hit a, a, a transformer. And we've had that happen at our house a few times. We had one that was outside of our house. So oftentimes power would go out and we'd be able to stand there in the dark watching the, the power crew show up at the, at the not, a, not a big transformer, not a distribution site, but, you know, one of those little transformers. We'd sit there and watch. And so we knew when the power was going back on because that's when the boom started coming back down off the line. When the, uh, you know, when the lineman was, was all wrapped up, all of a sudden they'd, they'd, they'd pull that boom away and the power comes back up. And you go, okay, there it is. They're all done. And we always say thanks. Hi, thanks. Go off from coffee, whatever it is. The idea that you're out for days, it's more than an inconvenience. It's dangerous. It's frustratingly inconvenient for people like this gentleman that they interviewed, but it also puts us in a position where there's no running water, right? You may have running water if, you, if, if you're on a, a city septic. Hopefully that's all working fine. Your hot water heater is not going to work. If you're not on city, and in the case of uh, this place in North Carolina, a lot of rural areas, I told you, this is, not a, this is not a metropolitan area. This is pretty rural, so a lot of people on wells. If you have a well, you've got a well pump, and if you don't have power, you're not pumping water out of the ground, which means toilets don't flush, showers don't start, hands don't get washed, food doesn't get washed. You have to start trucking water in or, or you know, the easiest, of course, is bottled water, but you're not going to keep pouring bottles of water into your toilet in order to flush it. So it becomes more than just inconvenient. It becomes unsanitary. All right, so why am I saying maybe media is to blame? Have a listen here as our story from CBS continues. Roughly 35,000 customers are without power and will be for most of the week until crews repair and replace equipment. Protecting critical infrastructure like our power system must be a top priority. That's the Governor uh, Roy Cooper there in North Carolina. In January, CBS News obtained a bulletin from the Department of Homeland Security warning that domestic violent extremists continue to plot credible, specific plans to attack electricity infrastructure. All right. 
That's good. Reporting on the story. Transparency. Government saying, here's what we're working on. Uh, let's get on it. News reports it. Great. What's my issue? The U.S. has 55,000 substations. Earlier this year, 60 Minutes profiled how lightly protected and vulnerable they often are. There you go. There's our issue. I know they're trying to draw attention to it and say, look, this is something that needs to be addressed. But what they're actually doing is they're sending a message to these domestic terrorists that were like, hey, listen, if you're really trying to mess things up, this is the easiest way. There's very few number of substations you need to take out uh, in the entire United States to knock out the entire grid. Turns out, taking out fewer than 20 critical substations all at once could block out the entire country the way Moore County looks today. Meanwhile, domestic terrorists is like, thanks, CBS News, just need to find 20 substations and we're set fantastic well done well done so what is the what is the internet saying about this it's important because the internet is a reflection on what so many people are thinking we'll discuss that in a moment and there's more than one way to get power it doesn't have to come from the substations except the other ways are pretty expensive but not as bad as they used to be. That's next. Chris Merrill in for Mike Broomhead on KTAR. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. We're talking about this power outage in North Carolina. This is a deliberate attack on a couple of different substations, and it, it I, I hate to be cliche, it plunged 45,000 people into darkness. I love, when, uh, I love when TV companies do that. By the way, it's Chris Merrill, by the way, not Mike Broomhead today. Um, uh, Carthage is the county seat in uh, Moore, uh, North Carolina, and uh, it's a bad situation. So who did it? And what was their motivation? Officials say so far, no motive and no suspects, but they've not ruled anything out. Are you possibly looking for somebody who was an employee? Uh, we're looking at all aspects uh, uh, of it. This was not no random act. This was something sure. targeted. This morning, Duke Energy, which runs the substation, says they will take a closer look at security measures after the breach. Duke Energy is one of the big power companies in the in the country, by the way. They're big like uh, APS, PG&E. Um, they're up there in the top. They're always one, two, or three largest power companies in the, in the country. But would not say whether surveillance cameras may have captured those responsible. How were they able to access these areas so easily? Well, you know, we maintain hundreds of thousands of miles of overhead lines, equipment that's all around. It's, it's impossible to protect everything from any type of, of interaction. We have robust security measures. This morning, the county remains under a state of emergency with a 9 p.m. curfew in place until power is restored. The Red Cross has opened a 24-hour shelter for those struggling to stay warm. And with the majority of impacted customers likely to remain in the dark until Thursday, this grocery store, one of the few with power, is a rare refuge. It's cold and I come over here a couple of times a day to get some hot food. Just to get warm? Yeah. It just doesn't affect one person. It affects a whole community, literally. But we don't know who did it. Now, social media has got a theory. Oh, good. Social media to the rescue. This is like having TikTok as your private investigator. But here's the tie to this. So there was a post that went up on Facebook less than an hour after the power went out in North Carolina. Less than an hour after the attack on the substations. 
Emily Rainey uh, posted on her Facebook. Now, Emily Rainey is um, a former U.S. Army psychological operations officer. She left the military because she was being investigated for leading a group of people from North Carolina to the Capitol on January 6th. She's been a vocal opponent of drag shows in the state. She posted on her Facebook page less than an hour after the attack, the power is out in Moore County and I know why. Kind of cryptic, doesn't say anything. Posted a follow-up where she wrote, God will not be mocked. That that post had a photograph of the Sunrise Theater. The Sunrise Theater is where this drag show had been planned. So what's happening here is you have somebody who is anti-drag show, has led a group of people uh, to the Capitol for protest, allegedly, and, um, and is claiming, basically, responsibility for this power outage. Not saying that she's responsible or that any one of her groups are responsible or anything of that nature, but sort of implying responsibility. So that has, of course, taken on a life of its own. Activists in the area say, why I 100% believe that this was motivated by an anti-LGBTQ animus. That, according to Charlotte Clymer, who's an activist, is sharing uh, the initial post on Twitter. Um, everyone in this community knew this was going on. There would be a queer community was very well of, uh, aware of all of this. When the power went out, even the attendees of the drag show had a feeling that this was an anti-LGBTQ thing. That according to Clymer. So now you've got, you've got an act, right? We don't know what started that. We don't know what the security was. Duke Energy says, yeah, we got too much. We can't really keep secure on everything. And, To a degree, they're right. We don't know who shot that up or why they shot it up. It could have been a couple of good old boys on a bender that decided to go shooting at a power station. Authorities don't think that's the case. They think this was intentional, but they haven't haven't ruled anything out. We don't know who did it or why. Then you've got a lunatic who is anti-people having fun in their own time who's decided that, aha, uh-huh, this is all because of our goals and someone has stepped forward and this is God's doing. Stopping that drag show, the abomination and the quote-unquote groomers. And Boy, am I tired of hearing that word. So, people that she doesn't like are jumping on board. Now, either they're taking the bait for this this red herring, or um, she's basically saying, no, this was coordinated and I know what was behind it. And they're saying, she did it. She's behind it. Or she at least knows who's behind it. And so now it's become a political issue. It should be an issue about domestic terrorism, security, investigations, the humanity aspect. But it turns into a left-right uh, LGBTQ versus uh, Bible Belt Christians type argument that's going on all, around all of this. Authorities, by the way, haven't ruled out this theory. Of course, they're investigating it. They're following leads as the FBI is uh, has been brought in on this case as well. And this show had been protested by some other far-right groups like the Proud Boys, this very show. So this person with an association that is saying, you know, they wanted to shut down this drag show, sees the drag show is basically shut down because of an action of someone else on the outside. They're saying, that was us. That was God's will. But the truth is, we don't know. And so before we roll the dice on our jump to conclusions, Matt, I think probably we'll dial it back a little bit 
you don't have to like the person on the other side of the ideological spectrum as you, but maybe we don't start pouring blame until we know where blame is is due. Maybe we just hold off on that for right now. Uh, Still to come, why the Georgia Senate runoff may have one prominent Arizona Democrat rooting for the Republican. It seems crazy, doesn't it? It's not that crazy. Not in upside-down, bizarro world that we live in nowadays. There may be good reason for that Democrat to cheer on the Republican. And we'll talk about where Arizona stands regarding gas prices. And this may be a Christmas miracle. We could use one. It's Chris Maryland from Mike Broomhead, KTAR.